0: Well, uh, if you're new to Southside um, and you're here for the first time, you might look at this and say, I'm not even sure why they're doing this, what goes on. It feels kind of like a love-in. You know, everybody just loves everybody. (laughs) I really think that's how church is supposed to be, actually, that we're supposed to come. This is a place where you can find encouragement and love that's uh, shared generously. Uh, But let me tell you one of the things, when we started this a couple years ago, Uh, we really started it with a a principle that I think is a good principle. Maybe maybe it's something that would be useful to you in your life. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, if you can't do something for everybody, you really shouldn't do it for anybody because it's not... What's the next word? Fair, right. You know, fair is a lie based on what? Envy. Envy, My family knows that. Yeah, fair is a lie based on envy. (laughs) And so what ends up happening is a lot of times we don't do what we should do for one person because we feel like we can't do it for everybody. Let me give you just a basic principle in life that I think will serve you well. Do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. Do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. So several years ago, when we first came up with this idea, we're like, well, but what are all the people we won't recognize? We said, you know what? We're going to do for one what we wish we could do for everybody. And so every year, we kind of recognize some folks, not because they're the best at it, um, but just because we hope that in recognizing uh, just these few people, you, re- you realize and understand just how grateful everybody in this church is for everybody else who serves and cares for them and demonstrates the love of Jesus Christ. We also recognize the fact that these people are, in fact, the church, that all of you who serve and who give and who love, who pour yourself out, you make up Southside Baptist Church. And finally, we also recognize that we want to give thanks, not necessarily to the individual, but to God who makes provision in our life. And isn't it true that if you look back over your life, the way God has most often made provision in your life is through somebody else. That he's brought somebody into your life at just the right time, with just the right word, with just the right encouragement, maybe even with just the right criticism. I mean, we don't like that one, but sometimes God sends somebody who gives us, who says something to us and it stings a little bit, but you look back in your life and you realize, man, I'm appreciative of that person for saying that hard thing to me. God demonstrates his love to us in so many ways. The greatest way was through giving his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. But he continues to bless us in the lives of other people around us. And so let me tell you something about these people that we kind of bring up and recognize every year. The first one, you probably could see it on some of their faces. They don't want us to do it. They really don't. I mean, they, they always, they do not want us to recognize them. I think that's pretty much without exception. Every time we've done this, they've, they've tried to get out of it. Because here's what you need to know about them. Their service, while it benefits so many of us, if you want to know a little secret... It isn't primarily about us. The way they serve and love, you might be the beneficiary of it, but you're not the primary target of it. And it's not their effort to earn God's favor. That's another thing that's common about many of these folks. They they, they don't serve and love and volunteer in order to earn God's favor. They understand there's nothing they can do to earn what God has freely given to them. There's something else motivating it. See, their service has to do with gratitude. But it's not an effort to receive it. It comes from a deep sense of it. See, they come here out of a sense of overwhelming gratitude they have a desire to express their gratitude for everything that God has done for them so they serve out of this deep sense of gratitude not in an effort to receive it but if you and I are honest come on let's just get real here for a second you and I are honest haven't there been times in your life where you've done something and you knew you were supposed to do it like you knew this is just the right thing to do and then nobody noticed or acknowledged it, and something inside of you burned a little bit? Anybody? Come on, ra- I'm going to ask you, raise your hand if you've ever felt that way. Come on, it's church. You're- yeah. If, yeah, if the person next to you is not raising their hand, elbow them, because they, we've all felt that way. You know, I did something. The greatest example is like at home. Okay, I'm going to get real here for a minute. So Sherry and I have a, we, we've got a great, yeah, I, I know, she, I always, she always gives me this look when I bring her name up. So we've been married 21 years and I hope we make it to 22, but we never talk about who's going to make the bed. We don't. We never talk about that. Like, I don't, we this is the first time we've ever even had this conversation right here in front of you. We never talk about it. So some days I make it, some days she makes it, some days it just doesn't get made. But most of the time, one of the two of us will make the bed. Now I have to admit there have been times where it's gone a couple of days, hasn't been made and I make the bed. And then I think hmm, I did something right. Look at me. And you know what? Never, not one time has she thanked me for making the bed. I, no, I don't thank her <laughs> because here's the truth about us. When she makes the bed, I think to myself, well, she's supposed to make the bed. And if she's honest with you, when I make the bed, she's thinking, well, he slept in it too. (laughs) There's something about our heart. There's something deceptive about our hearts that even when we do what it is we're supposed to do, there's this part of us that just thinks, man, he didn't say thanks. She didn't acknowledge I did that. And, And then something bitter happens inside of you. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Something bitter starts happening. You think, well, then I'm just not going to make the bed from now on. I'm going to see if she notices that I'm not making the bed. And this, now listen, making the bed's no big deal. But you can take the same scenario and you can translate it into other areas and you can recognize how quickly that cancer, that need to be noticed, that need to be recognized can wreck a marriage. It can wreck relationships. It can wreck your witness. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 19, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture that's normally divided. It's normally the first part is talked about or the second part is talked about, but I think these two parts go together. So if you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table... In other words, this, this idea that, you know, you've got some folks that are working for you and, and you, you manage a, a field, you manage a farm and, and you're, you know, you're compensating them. They go out there and they do their job. And then when they're done doing that job, you don't like s- sense like, well, you need to come on. Let me reward you. Come on in. I mean, they, you don't do that. Well, instead, what does he say here? He says, come in once and we're at client table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, you will eat and drink. In other words, your job's not over. This person has got responsibilities that they do, and when their, when their responsibilities are over, then they receive their payment of being fed and, and sheltered and provided for. Now, the economy in the Bible was different than our economy today in that many times when we see the word servant in here, we might have images of slavery. That's really not an accurate picture of what they're talking about. Many of these folks lived, were, were completely provided for uh, by these masters or by these landowners, by these farmers. They would house and clothe and feed and care for the family. So what he's saying here is basically you do your job and then you reap your reward. That's what you do. When you go to, when you go to work, and at the end of a week or two weeks or one month, however often you get paid, you get your paycheck. You probably don't feel an overwhelming desire to go to your employer and say, thank you for my paycheck. Why? Because you did your work and they paid you. And you did your work and they paid you. And just like they, they don't necessarily have to feel like they need to pour themselves out and say thank you for your work because what are they doing? They're paying you. And you don't feel like you have to say thank you for the paycheck. Why? Because you earned it. You worked for it and you gave it. So it's the same principle going on here. He says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, he's talking to his followers, he's talking to believers. When you've done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We've only done what was our duty. I made the bed because I slept in it. (laughs) I just did what I was supposed to do. I just did what was my duty. I shouldn't, something, if there's a desire for some recognition or gratitude, the problem isn't with the person who didn't recognize me or express gratitude. The problem is in my own heart. Now, Jesus tells this, he tells this story, he teaches this truth. And then Luke records immediately after this an encounter that Jesus had, and I think they're connected. So follow along with me. Look at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Now, leprosy in this day and age, obviously, still exists in third world countries, um, highly contagious. Lepers were required by law to, to... to stay, keep so far away from everybody. They had to be, stay on the outside of town. So usually when you were traveling from one town to another, you may pass a colony of lepers. So Jesus and the guys are walking along, and sure enough, there are these colony of lepers that are along the way. And, and they would have been isolated from their family. They have, forever how long they were diagnosed, they weren't allowed to contact anybody, even their families. So many of them were forgotten, neglected, completely abandoned, and alone. And they were saying, uh, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself. Now, if you go back and you read in the book of Deuteronomy about the law, when somebody had any kind of skin disease, contagious skin disease, they were required, if they thought they were clean, they were required to go present themselves to the high priest, and it was the high priest's responsibility to verify that they were, in fact, clean, to make an offering of thanksgiving to God for their healing, and then, only then, were they admitted back into society, so he's, Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. You're made well. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. In other words, he wasn't even a good guy. That's, that's code. For the Jewish, the Jewish mindset, the Samaritans were kind of the, the, the they were the ne'er do wells. I mean, they, you just don't, you just Samaritans were the bad guys. I mean, they, they just didn't, they, they weren't the ones that you expected to do the right thing. But this guy came back, was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to praise God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, listen to this, this is so big, so big, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, this story is really, really interesting to me because I think when you look at these two stories together, you're really looking at misdirected, a misdirected sense of gratitude. That, that in the first story, you've got servants who feel like they're owed something for just doing what they're expected to do. And in this encounter that you have following that teaching, you've got this this man who had nothing to offer. He couldn't do service for anybody. He was excluded from society, and yet there was this overwhelming sense of gratitude that drove him back to Jesus. And notice what it says when he goes back to Jesus. Jesus looks at him, and he says, rise and go. He He says, rise up. Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And you think, but wait a second, Jesus. You already healed him. That's why he came back and said thank you. So what do you you mean by this? You see, 10 people encountered Jesus. 10 people heard Jesus. 10 people were touched by Jesus. 10 people benefited from Jesus. Only one person was changed. Only one person was truly changed. Now you think, well, where did the other nine go? Why didn't they come back? Well, a couple theories behind that. And I think they both make sense. And you can kind of understand why the nine wouldn't come back. One, when they got to the high priest, Jesus was not a very popular figure. So when they went and presented themselves to the high priest, surely the high priest asked them, how did this happen? And when they told the high priest... The high priest probably warned them, don't have anything to do with that guy. Because the high priests were already doing this. That This was already what was happening all around the city of Jerusalem. So the, so the other nine may not have come back because the priest told them not to come back. That's a pretty good reason. You don't want to be in trouble with the priest. Another reason is if they'd been isolated from their family for a long time, which they probably had, they were probably anxious to get home. Wouldn't you be? I mean, the first thing I want to do is I want to go back and hug my wife and hug my kids. I want to go home. I've been away from home for years. Isn't that the way we are in life so often? We receive a blessing from God and then we're so anxious to move on with our life and do what we want to do that we've many times find ourselves in the group of nine. That we find ourselves not filled with gratitude, that, that we're, we're grateful in the moment to be healed. We're grateful for the benefit it brings into our life. But how often do we go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I recognize had it not been for you, I wouldn't be in this place. See, there's a sense of gratitude that drove this one to go back. And Jesus said, rise, for you've been made well. Now, the word rise there, it comes from the same root word where we get the word resurrection. It's the same word. In other words, your life is new, not just your body. Your faith, your faith that drew you back to me, that deep sense of gratitude that drew you back to me has made you well. You can be physically well and spiritually sick. And many times our spiritual sickness, I believe, comes from the cancer of pride that says, I'm owed recognition and appreciation, rather than a spirit of gratitude that says, I'm just grateful to be a servant. I'm just so grateful for all that God has done for me that I want to do anything I can to express my love back to him. I'm just grateful. You know, it's interesting when you begin to read the book of Proverbs and you read the Old Testament, you understand that, that praise the Bible says over and over again, "And flattering lips are dangerous, are dangerous." Proverbs 27:21 says this. He says, "The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but a man is tested by the praise he receives." Think about that for a minute. That, that any time you receive recognition, you're being tested." You think, well, how's that so? What does, what does the crucible do and the furnace do for those precious metals? It burns away all the impurity, doesn't it? it? It brings it to light. It exposes what is imperfect and it removes it. This proverb says that's exactly what praise does to your heart. And if you can't handle it, the heat may be too much and you may find your heart burning That praise can actually have the opposite effect on us. There's another reason that I think praise can be so dangerous for us. And this is what Jesus said, that sometimes our desire to receive praise and recognition may rob us of the reward that God has in store for us. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received praise their reward in full. I don't think about that for a minute. What's he talking about? He's talking about receiving praise, not receiving acknowledgement, not that your good deeds themselves are bad, but when but when you allow the praise for those good deeds to rest on you, Jesus says, you've already received your reward. You know, We live in a a culture where we feel so entitled to so many things. I mean, we just, it's kind of ingrained in us. We don't don't even necessarily recognize all the ways in which we, we feel entitled. And sometimes we allow that to translate itself into our relationship with God. You need to know this. God doesn't owe you anything. God is not in your debt. And when you have an attitude that thinks, well, God, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. God, I'm living right. How could, you, how could you let me get that diagnosis? God, look at all the ways I've served you. How could you let my kid go astray? God, look at, look at, look at how, how I've supported and been generous to other people. How could you let my husband leave me? You see, th- there's a sense of entitlement in that. And suddenly what you realize is the things you were doing all along weren't out of a sense of gratitude it was out of a sense of keeping God in your debt that if I just do the right thing God may owe me one the doctor's report will come back well the marriage will always work out the kids will turn out great and so many times what happens when we have that attitude we set ourselves up and you've met these people I've met these people they walk away from God because God didn't come through on his end of the bargain Instead of recognizing everything I do is out of response for what God has already done for me. That he doesn't owe me anything else. That God so loved the world that he sent his son. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. He saved me. He redeemed me. He doesn't owe me anything more than that. So all my efforts, all my work like the one who came back, is motivated out of a deep sense of gratitude. You see, service for God is the result of a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Your faith has made you well. It requires faith for us to express our gratitude for what God has done for us. Without the expectation that somehow Somehow my expression of gratitude is going to continue to reap some reward in this life. You see, I love this verse, Matthew 5, 16. I've kind of struggled with this. Between Matthew five sixteen 16 and Matthew 6, 2, there seems to be a little, little tension here. Matthew five sixteen says this. Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, you know what? Let your light shine before other people. And I think, well, wait a minute, Jesus... You, didn't you just tell us just a little bit, bit ago not to do our good deeds out on the street where others can see them and so that we'll receive the praise? I mean, there's, which is it, Jesus? Do you want us to do it where people can see it or do you want us to keep it a secret? Listen to the rest of the verse. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father, your father who's in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your father is in heaven. See, I go back to God and serve out of a sense of gratitude for all that God has done for me. And my acts of service aren't to bring recognition to me. It's to shine the light on the God who has done so much for me that this is just my way of saying thanks. It's my way to be the one out of ten. this is a spotlight. A spotlight is used uh, in a theater or in any performance to, uh, to shine, to draw attention to everybody who's in the theater, everybody who's in the venue, so that they can see and look at the right person on the stage. If you're directing a show and you want to bring attention to somebody who's maybe up on one set, kind of back in the corner, if you dim the rest of the lights and you put the spotlight on them, everybody in the audience immediately looks to where the spotlight is. Here's the truth about a spotlight. You can't be on both ends of it. You can't be on both sides of the spotlight. You can be the one pointing the spotlight, letting your good deeds glorify your Father who is in heaven, or you can seek to be at the end of the spotlight allowing your good deeds to draw all the attention to yourself. But the problem is it'll burn your heart up. You can't handle the light. You can't handle the heat. Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Yes, let them see it. But then point past yourself and say, listen, I didn't didn't do this for you because I'm a good person. I did this for you because of what the Lord has done for me. Do you understand the power of that witness? That suddenly when you take the spotlight off of yourself and off of what you've done and you shine the spotlight of your good deeds on Jesus Christ, it's a tremendously powerful witness because people don't only hear the gospel, they see it. And you become the spotlight operator. Let me ask you, if you are here today and you have found yourself kind of feeling like, well, you know what? Somebody owes me some recognition. Let me, let me ask you a couple questions. And you can, you can write these down. We all should probably write them down because the truth is we've all felt this way and we'll probably feel this way again. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? The second question is this. Why are you serving? What's your motivation? Which end of the spotlight do you want to be on? Where is your reward? Third question. Are you expecting a reward here? Because Jesus made it pretty clear. You can have your reward here, but guess what? If you have it here, you're missing out on it there. And rewards here don't come close to comparing with the rewards that are there. Let me ask everybody this. Maybe maybe that's not a struggle for you. Maybe you don't struggle with a sense of being owed recognition or or gratitude but let me ask everybody this question because this i think gets to the heart of it for us what would you continue doing for god even if no one else ever knew about it or recognized it i want you to think about that this week what is it that you'd continue to do if nobody ever saw it nobody ever recorded it nobody ever knew about it what would you still do I hope you would say everything I'm doing. I hope, I hope you have been so overwhelmed with what the Lord has done for you. I hope that you're the one out of 10 who would say I'd still come back and fall at Jesus' feet because I can't believe what he's done for me. I would be the one out of 10. Service for God is the result of a grateful heart. Let, let, me, let me give you a challenge this week, something practical to do. I, I want all of you to, to do nine anonymous random acts of kindness this week. Nine. You say, well, why nine? For the nine folks who didn't come back. I want you to do nine things that nobody else can know you did. Nobody else will recognize. Nobody else will see it. You can't tell anybody. You can't tell your spouse. Nine things. It could be for family members. It could be for strangers. It could be for coworkers. It could be for people in school. It could be a note you slide in a, in, in their in their locker and just say, "Hey, just praying for you." Hey, I, you know you're doing a great job. I don't know what it is. It might be you might pay it forward at Starbucks and pay for the stranger's coffee behind you. You can think of all kinds of creative ways. But I want you to do nine random acts of anonymous kindness. Here's why I want them to be anonymous. Because God will be more glorified and you'll be more satisfied. God will be more glorified and you'll be more satisfied. And it's an antidote for that sense of entitlement that creeps into all of our hearts. That the enemy comes in and takes what, what, God, what could be used for God's glory and instead tries to get you to flip that spotlight around and shine it on yourself. So nine random acts of kindness. God will be glorified and you'll be satisfied because we serve out of a deep sense of gratitude. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? This morning as you just examine your own heart, I don't know that any of us here today could say that everything we do is out of a pure motive. There are... There are many who struggle with just a sense of not being recognized. There are others who struggle with a sense of of serving out of somehow maybe trying to earn God's favor. I think God wants you to be free of both of those things. And to just bask in the glow of all that the Lord has done for you. And maybe this morning you just need to be reminded what the Lord has done for you. How how he sacrificed, how he loved, how he demonstrated that love for you. And, And out of that overwhelming sense of gratitude, may everything that we do, everything that we are, be to shine the light of glory on the God who has done so much for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world. And Father, we ask you to forgive us for how many times we've tried to stand in the spotlight. Lord, help us all to be spotlight operators. God, I'm so grateful that there are so many people here, many of whom we recognized this morning, who often stand on the other side of the spotlight. How they've brought glory to you through their acts of service And Father, I thank you for a church that has had a tradition of being that way. But Lord, I would just ask that you would just root out anything in us that seeks to uh, abuse that idea and that seeks to bring recognition back to ourselves. Help us to serve out of pure motives and a grateful heart. Father, I pray for marriages. I pray for relationships between parents and children. I pray between the relationships from co-workers That something about this truth may not only strengthen, but may save some of those relationships. Help us to meditate on this day and night. Father, give us more than nine opportunities to practice random acts of kindness this week. And may each act shine a spotlight on you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.